Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to another episode of The Naturalist Capitalist. I'm your host, Reed Coverdale. Uh, if you're new to the channel, please give me a subscription. And if you've just been following me on YouTube, make sure you look at the links listed in the description and follow me everywhere else. But specifically on Substack, I'm writing articles like two or three times a week. And then uh, Telegram, I'm using that as an alternative to Twitter because I am one of the no-no people who's not allowed on Twitter at all anymore. My name is banned. I shall not return, at least as of now. So uh, just make sure you follow me on all those platforms. But I got a good show tonight. A uh, guest who's been on the show several times returning again. He was the vice presidential nominee for the Libertarian Party. Spike Cohen, how are you doing tonight, man? I'm doing fantastic, man. And I, I will admit, I would otherwise be kind of neutral as to whether or not Elon Musk ends up actually buying Twitter. But I still want him to buy Twitter just because I'm pretty sure that means you'll end up back on Twitter. Like, I think that's probably <laughs> short of that. I don't think you're going to end up back on Twitter, no. but I do think if he buys it, it'll be like just open season for everyone and you'll be back on Twitter. But I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. I uh, I remember you were one of probably one of the most horrified, uh, high profile people at the creation of uh, Clint Coverdale and Reed Russell, those two uh, parody accounts that were running the around. The abomination that, were, that, that yeah. is, yeah. Yeah. Um, so when I told Reed Russell that I would shoot him if he came within a hundred yards of my truck, I don't think I said anything false. I mean, if that abomination came anywhere near my truck, I would defend myself and my property. And I think that's fully within my rights. So I'm not really, I think, you know, I think anyone who kills Reed Russell or Clint, what was it? Clint Coverdale was the other yeah. one, which looked even worse. Like whatever monstrosity Reed <laughs> Russell was. Clint Coverdale made that look normal. Anyone uh -huh. who rids our planet, our society, and our gene pool of those two characters, I think is a hero. I mean, forget, forget yeah. talking about the rights and, and so forth. That, that's another discussion. I think they're heroes, and I think that, that they will be remembered as the, as, the, as the people that saved humanity from those two absolute monstrosities. So the fact that you were simply saying, if you get within my property, I'll kill you. I think that was a, a, a almost a centrist position, yeah. a, a pretty moderate position on that. Yeah, I agree. I mean, they hated me because I told the truth. What can I say? Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it is kind of funny. Lots of my friends have been banned off of Twitter. So Facebook mm -hmm. has actually gotten more interesting because I haven't used Facebook regularly in a while, at least for yeah, yeah, political yeah. stuff. I just like Okay, go look like once a week. Okay, what did my aunt post on here or whatever? But it's yeah. gotten a little bit, uh, it's gotten a little more edgy and a little more fun and a little more interesting because it has everyone yeah. has you know used all of their friends and family's phone numbers to make alt Twitter accounts and they've <laughs> run out of them. They're like, okay, I guess I'm gonna use my Facebook account that I haven't used for yeah. six years and just uh, figure out where the lines are. But um, I haven't pushed as hard because it, it's it's funny. People ask me, how can you be banned off of Twitter and still have a Facebook account? And it's like, well, you know, Twitter is like your political fans who follow you when it's your grandmother and your aunt and your uncle and your, uh, you know, the, the people that went to church with you when you were a yes. kid or whatever. You just tread a little bit more lightly. So I'm still mm, there for yeah. now. But. Yeah. <laughs> most of my most of my like actual Facebook friends uh, on my on my Facebook on my personal account um, are either 
love like family members, people I grew up with, people I went to school with. But the biggest group is not political. It's uh, you know this. Tasha and I are really big into the Latin dance scene. Like we do salsa dancing and stuff like that. And so I'd say half of my friends list is salsa people, like salsa dancers and salsa instructors and people I've met at salsa socials and things like that. And so like, I really don't do political stuff on my personal profile on my page. Obviously I do that stuff, but on my personal profile, I share like stupid memes and jokes and like, you know, recipes for meals I've made and stuff. Like I am a basic white girl on my, on my <laughs> Facebook. It's, it's pretty funny. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's funny. I, uh, you know, I grew up in the 90s and the early 2000s when like kind of before social media really started fledging. I was a teenager yep. when it started turning into something. And I just can't imagine growing up in a world where social media is a thing, like as a little kid yeah. and being allowed to use it. Because when I was 10 or and I, there might be a, an age restriction on Facebook. I'm not sure if there is. There, there might be. But I think there um, technically is one, but I have like no relatives who they were on there when they were like seven and eight and stuff. So, yeah. I mean, it's not, it's not real. It's not, doesn't stop anybody. Yeah. Doesn't stop anybody. So, I mean, when I was like eight or 10 or 12 or even like 14, um, if I was, um, you know, if I was bored, I just had to go outside and grab a stick and pretend I was fighting the red coats out in the woods by myself yes. or with my brothers and sisters. And, um, I feel like we've had, um, you know, our, our society has been impacted by this constant validation from all your friends all the time by just posting a picture of whatever you're eating for breakfast or lunch or dinner or whatever. Or, you know, I <laughs> this mean, this is me now. You're <laughs> describing me now. But yeah, go ahead. No, no, but you're right. Like growing up yeah. like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, you had to, you had to go create your own world and yes. create your own basically your own validation like you weren't just going to get it from everyone all around you you had to actually make things yourself and then when you actually had to do real things you, you i don't know you seem to care about the important things when it comes to validation more than the dumb things yep. because all the dumb things you were just validating yourself with them because they were things you created in your mind as a kid or whatever so then when the important tasks came along those were the things that you wanted to impress other people with i guess uh but now it's like almost the opposite kids care more about their social media profiles than their bank account or you know if if they're old enough to have a car that their car works or anything like that like it's all yeah. come down to this societal validation and i think that's um i don't know i don't think that's good but i was wondering what you thought about that <laughs> So I think what we're seeing is that the product of social media has been so successful and that its actual goal of making us addicted to it so that because we keep in mind social media, we're actually the product, right? The product is what's being sold. What they make money from isn't from us. I mean, we don't pay to use it, right? We're the product. They make their money from selling our data and our interests and everything else to social media, to, to advertisers. That's how they make their money. Now, the reality is that means that in order for them to make as much money as possible, they need us to be as engaged with it as possible. So they've literally created these things to tap into us psychologically 
and make us want to be on it as much as humanly possible. And that's not just, yeah, I mean, yeah, they add new interesting services, things you can do on it, live streaming, uh, you know, uh, augmented reality and things like that. And a lot of them are actually pretty cool. Like, I, I think it's awesome that I can live stream anytime I want to, you know, for at the, you know, just by taking out my phone and stuff. And it's been very useful in the activism I've been doing and things like that. So it's not all bad, but that's not really how they get you. They get you by creating this experience where you increasingly rely on the dopamine that you're getting from these, this sort of feedback loop of mm -hmm. people validating you and saying, yes, I like your picture of, you know, your shrimp saute that you just put up or your, your uh, opinion that you just gave about this or whatever else. But the thing is, if you're geared towards trying to maximize acceptance, that pushes everyone into the lowest common denominator on opinion, on their thoughts, on their values, to really whatever's going to, whether they even realize they're doing this or not, it's gearing them towards just saying whatever is the most popular thing. And that's where the whole, you know, I support the current thing came from, yeah. because it really is like, oh, well, I know that if I put, you know, the Ukraine uh, uh, emoji in my in my name on Twitter, or if I put that profile picture up, uh, that profile filter up on Facebook, that's going to get a bunch of people saying, yeah, I also stand with that or whatever. Or even on the other side for, you know, people that are the counterculture to put up the I support the current thing that that's become its own current thing in that group. Right. So like yeah. this is it, it is a problem. And especially for kids, we're, we're adults. I am grateful that I grew up in the 80s and 90s because mm -hmm. um, I'm I just turned 40. I am like the first batch of millennials it's i really identify more with gen x than millennials but i technically am a millennial but i didn't the internet we didn't have internet until i was i believe 13 and mm -hmm. it was dial up you know uh, you know yeah, yeah. aol chat rooms <laughs> uh and i remember even how addictive that was but it was it was not it we didn't have the internet like that and we didn't have social media until i was in my well into my 20s and I'm very mm -hmm. grateful for that. One reason I'm grateful for that is I would be canceled for the stuff that I, I, I can't I can't picture the stuff we would say as kids yeah. and that being on the Internet where anyone can search it and archive it. That's yeah. that's a recipe for an absolute nightmare, at least for me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, I absolutely would have been the one getting in trouble. I mean, I, I was man. I'm, so South Carolina doesn't have a statute of limitations on any crime. So I, I'm careful to say what I did, but I did a lot. And uh I would have advertised on social media because I was an idiot. I was a kid. So I am glad that that didn't exist. But also because, like you said, I was able to kind of have actual experiences as a child. Like you said, if you wanted to have fun, you would go outside and you'd pick up a stick or you'd pick up, you know, a toy and you would pretend that you were whatever. And you were or you would play with friends, which is different than social media. Actually interacting with human beings as you're developing is completely different than social media. It's it's learning how to be a person around other people. And it, it's very simple in its play, but it, it is an important thing. It's part of human development. And it's something that mm -hmm. increasingly doesn't exist. I will look at three-year-olds staring at a, at a, like a tablet or a phone screen, having no interest in what's happening around them. And I was a freaking hyper manic nightmare as a kid like running around and talking to people they have zero interest in anything because yeah. this is way more interesting to them than anything they're seeing out there and no yeah. i think it's a huge problem we're not going to really know the consequences of it for many years because most of us still grew up normally so it's yeah. going to take a while to see how this plays out but i'm, I'm concerned
Yeah, we grew up a little bit behind our times. I was born in 94, but we didn't get a computer, I don't think, until 2006. So I would have been like oh, wow. 12. Okay. Um, and I didn't own a cell phone until I was 18, um, even though you know they were out when I was a kid or right. whatever, but I just never got one. And I remember uh, even when I started working at the power line company and like going around setting utility poles and doing jobs everywhere. I didn't have a GPS or anything. I just had one of those address books and they'd give you an address and then you'd find the town. You'd open the page up, figure out where the address was and then figure out how you're going to get there. And I just never thought of needing a GPS. Like it was just a ridiculous idea that you'd ever need it. But uh, then I eventually got a smartphone and then I needed one for my job because my boss had to send me video files and all this type of stuff. And then you start using it. And then you get to the point where you just can't imagine not having it anymore. It's like, man, how did I, how, how was I just that able to go do my job without having this thing with me? And I've kind of caught myself a couple of times. I remember we were, um, we were, I was backpacking with my dad and my uncle, my mom and a friend. And so we were out in the, in the woods, but there was a little bit of cell phone service. And so I was telling my uncle about this video we had made several years ago. And so then I pulled it up on my phone and it started playing and like halfway through it started buffering and I was getting a little exasperated. I was like, wait a second, you are out in the middle of the woods and you're playing a video that (laughs) that you made and it's like it's buffering. You grew up without a computer and then by the time you were 12, you had dial up Internet forever and you'd have to sit there and wait for an hour for the video to buffer and then load and then you could you know play 15 minutes or whatever like you have become so complacent and so uh spoiled and uh, i don't know do you catch yourself with that type of stuff nowadays especially growing up earlier than i did oh constantly and it's interesting so you're like uh, i think close how old are you 28 okay so you're like so you're 12 years younger than me but because of your life situation that you how you grew up you're basically (laughs) the same yeah because when you said played with a stick and i'm like aren't you like late twenties, early thirties, but that's why, right? Like you actually, yeah. and it's probably, it's, it's probably all for the best. Honestly, I, like I said, I'm grateful for, for having that perspective of what it was like before all of that. And, and, and I will say there are certainly quite a few positives, especially the activism that I'm doing to be able to organize for, you know, people to come from a, a you know, across the state to come to an event and then live stream it to everyone else and be able to reach, you know, tens, hundreds of thousands of people. That's incredible. Like that it, it has a use and a purpose. It is a good thing. But do I sure. catch myself like being way too into it? Yeah, a lot, especially because I have to be on it a lot to be able to do the work that I do. Uh, the moment that I find myself frustrated by a comment insulting, disagreeing, whatever comment or tweet or whatever from someone I don't even know is that I have actually made that like noted that as the second you feel that you disconnect because this you've now you've that's one of them. And there are a few different things that I've set up where it's like, if this happens, disconnect, you know, get off of the internet, shut your phone off, put it on silent, go outside, go to the beach, go do something Go spend time, go do something with your wife, your life partner who has dedicated herself to you while you're sitting there smashing on a phone. Like, uh, and it's because like when those things happen, those are just cues that this is way more important than it should be. Like it doesn't, it literally doesn't matter. 
and you are allowing it to ruin potentially your day, but even just that second, you're letting it ruin your second when it shouldn't even matter. And that has helped me a lot. Like having like just a handful of things that I, when that happens, and one of them is if I see like, and usually it's not like just someone disagreeing with me. I don't care if someone disagrees with me. I usually respond. But like someone saying something like insulting. I think what bothers me the most is when someone will either attack someone I care about or when they'll say something about me that's just flat out disprovable and false. And they just it's obvious they made it up. They have no idea what they're talking about. Those things are the things that really that really get me. The other stuff is like, yeah, whatever. You're, you're I don't really care. But those ones, when those happen and I'll get upset and it's like, wait a second. This might be a like this is a, a often it's like a sock account with a pseudonym and everything. It's like this is not. But even if it's a real, you know, a person with their whole thing, it's Clint Coverdale and Reed Russell. This. It's Clint Coverdale and Reed Russell, those sons of yeah. bitches. Again, they need to die. They must die. And not not because actually they're very nice to me, uh, but yeah. they must die. Me too, but I hate them. Yeah, I mean, just but the way I, they, it is. They, they, so, I mean, it's just look at them like there is that will infect our gene pool. And there will be ripple effects for generate. They have to die. But so yeah. the, um, uh, you know, when, when these things will happen, I just realize I'm like, I don't know this person. No. And usually like no one has reacted or, you know, someone's already replied and told them they're stupid. Like who cares? Like why, why does this matter? And the problem is the reason it mattered even that in that moment is with the more time you're spending on it, whether you like it or not, that feedback loop, is affecting your your psycho psychological response to it. It would be like saying, oh, well, you know, my job requires me <laughs> to take small amounts of cocaine and just put it by the sides of my nose and and, and breathe in real heavily. But I don't do cocaine, you right. see, and I'm not a cocaine addict, but my job <laughs> does require me to consume tiny amounts of cocaine throughout the day. Hey, why am I so dependent on cocaine? Like this, and so when you are especially if you have to be doing social media if that's if that's a part of what it is you do or even if it's just something you really enjoy you have to set some things that when this happens that's a cue that you need to disconnect because you're making this way too important than it actually is that that's what i do anyway yeah so i was wondering uh were there early signs that you were going to be sort of a rebel against the system when you were a kid was that could you trace that back to early times in your life because with me um, I'd say on a bell curve, I was a pretty obedient, good kid. But in my family, I was definitely one of the more obstinate, more rebellious. If I was told I wasn't allowed to do something, it would instantly pique my interest and I'd go pursue doing it and get in do trouble that. or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I was wondering, was there early signs of that type of thing with you as a kid? Or do you think that's something that formed later on? I changed my name when I was three and I insisted that everyone use it. I refused to talk to my parents for days at a time because they would not that. Yes. No, I've always been like this. I was a, a little annoying anarchist and I've grown into being a, a large annoying anarchist now. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's really, I've stayed on brand the whole time. No, I have always, you know, been, I, I, I will say my parents gave me a really good, moral compass on what is right and what is wrong and and the values of that and i've always stuck with that but with them when they would tell me you know you need to do this i would say why and if the answer was well because i told you to that wasn't even close to good enough and so by the time i was right. like five, six years old, they had pretty much given up on trying to say well do it because i told you to 
uh, it was, well, because if you do this, then this happens and whatever. And, and if it made sense, I did. But there were times I'd say, well, you know what? I, I don't think that's the case. And I would I would do whatever the thing is. And then I'd learn on my own. Maybe they were right. That usually they were. They were almost always right. But I would learn on my own from that thing, um, you know, of, of not listening to them that the consequence they said would happen typically did happen. But yeah, I, I've always I've never I've always rejected authority uh, on its own. Like the, the idea of just authority because of authority. Well, who gave you authority? Like I remember very early on saying things like, I mean, this would have been probably at maybe seven or eight, uh, a teacher saying to me, well, you have to listen to me because I'm your teacher. And I'd say something mm -hmm. like, well, why don't you have to listen to me because I'm your student? Like it just, it did, the fact that you were bigger than me, older than me in a position or whatever, didn't actually mean anything to me. Like it was, it is what you're saying right or wrong. Does it make sense or not? That is what you'll get. You'll get me with persuasion. You appealing to your own authority means absolutely nothing to me. As you can imagine, this made me an absolute nightmare of a child. Uh, and I was yep. a very, I, it's an absolute blessing that I am not, uh, you know, in prison or, you know, shot by police or something like that. Uh, because I, I definitely, I was, con I didn't just test boundaries. I didn't acknowledge the existence of authority made boundaries. I would determine based on, you know, my perception or from the persuasion of others, whether something was right or wrong or the way to do something or not. Um, and uh, I will say, you know, unlike a lot of people who got into drugs um, because it was the cool thing to do or because of trauma, I, I mean, maybe some trauma in my life might have led me into drugs or, 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 you know, some of the depression I had might have done it. I think the biggest thing was because it was illegal. And I was like, well, you're not going to tell me I can't do it. I'll do it myself and see if I like it. I, I did. I did like it. I definitely like it. So, no, I've always I've always been this way. If anything, I've had to become more mature and temper how I communicate because I used to like just scream in people's faces. I'm not going to listen to you. And I don't really I don't do that anymore very often. So, yeah, I was going to say there's like a there's a fine line between just being an obstinate asshole and like questioning things that deserve to be questioned and being skeptical yeah. when you should because uh yeah. i was probably more the first one when i was younger like i would <laughs> i mean there wasn't there wasn't a ton of logic to my reasoning either sometimes i would just like not do something because i was told to because do it said and it's to. like yeah it's like that's not always the best reason to not do something <laughs> like sometimes if they're telling you to do something it, it, it kind of makes sense but um yeah. i am happy with uh, kind of the moderation I've arrived at now, which is um, if they're really telling me to do something that doesn't make any sense, I'm, I'm going to be wondering why they're doing that and try to look into it more. Um, with me, I think where it really started was, um, or where, where it started to take its mature form, I was uh, working at a Christian camp during the summers, and I was, I was, uh, I was like a counselor in training, sort of, so I wasn't a counselor, but we were going to this program where um, you would wash the dishes and set the tables in the dining hall and everything and, you know, kind of clean the grounds of the campground. And then we do like these long devotional set uh, sessions and you'd, you'd really work like a it, it was kind of funny. I think it was technically uh, probably illegal what they were doing. Well, not technically, but <laughs> they were working kids who were under 16, like way more than 10 hours a day. But, right, you know, right. like they would turn stack the chairs into a game or something. So it's not really working. You know, you're you're doing an exercise or whatever. They do game. all sorts of shit like that. <laughs> but, Clean the um, floor. No, that old fun game. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but I remember during the devotionals one time, our this, this was a very like uh, evangelical um, Protestant Christian camp. And the counselor who was doing the session just said, uh, he just made the statement that all Catholics go to hell. And I was just like, what? And he, he actually asked the question, like, why do all Catholics go to hell? And I said, <laughs> is it the same reason all Protestants go to heaven? Kind of in a snarky, you know, snarky response way. And he didn't like that. And he got really upset oh. with me. And then the, uh, you know, I started having more questions about stuff toward the end of that summer. And the response I always got was, you need to pray for more understanding. And I was like, I'm sorry, but that's not a good answer. If I have a question yeah, about something a... and you just need, you're just telling me it's the devil coming from behind or, you know, it's just something I need to pray for more understanding about. Um, I don't know. It's just not good enough of an answer. That for feels me, but... a lot like a cop out. Yeah. 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 But uh, I know you were born, uh, you were raised religiously too right and was was there any sort of rebellion with that growing up or um you know interestingly enough um because my faith was presented to me i grew up in a in a in a jewish faith and in, in what's called a messianic jewish faith which are uh the messianic jews called themselves the first century christians they were basically like the jews who who followed jesus in that time and that right. continues on to the to the whatever. So anyway, so that was what, what the the, the uh, tradition I grew up in, and the the faith was always presented to me almost from a moral and ethical framework, as opposed to believe in this or you're going to go to hell. Like that was never really talked to me about that. My my dad's actually at, now he's retired, but he was actually our the rabbi as well, and mm -hmm. so it was always presented to me from the standpoint of. Uh, you know, he wouldn't say these are moral fables. He would say these are real things that happen and these were real people. Um, but he would present it from a, an ethical and moral framework that actually made it make more sense to me growing up as like as a child. As I got into my teens, I started questioning the veracity of the, the claims being made and of the stories themselves. And I found out more about how like the flood story from Noah that it actually is borrowed from, I think, a Mesopotamian story or a Babylonian story uh, and how a lot of the myths actually or the stories in them uh, are, are borrowed from previous ones and sort of embellished upon and added the 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 Abrahamic uh, uh, basically the Bible, the New Old Testament was written uh, by uh, by Moses and, and the people during that time. And they're kind of taking all of the the various mythologies and, and framing them into the moral story they're trying to present. Then the New Testament is the you know the, the continuation of that to try to, to justify the, the the worship of Christ. And at the more that I looked into it, the more that I'm like, yeah, I don't believe this. And so for quite some time, up until actually fairly recently, um, I and it was never a a loud rebellion. I never, I don't think I ever went into my parents' you know room and said. I'm an atheist and you don't get me or anything like that. I think I just very quietly was like, nah, I don't really believe that. I respect other people's faith, but I just, I don't believe that. And I think for a long time, I considered myself uh, an atheist. I definitely am still an agnostic. I, I think over time I've become equally um, disenfranchised, disenchanted with the, what I think is sort of the coping narrative of the uncaring mechanical purposeless universe. Like the idea mm -hmm that from a universe that doesn't matter has no purpose has no meaning uh and and feels and 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 expects nothing that it would create these beings who 
are heavily rooted in trying to find fulfillment and purpose and, and extremely emotional and, and extremely attached and caring, that doesn't seem to, to, to line up either. I, I, I've kind of, at, on a religious front, I've kind of resigned myself to, we'll probably, it's likely we'll never know what it is. It's probably in the same way that like the little microorganisms in your body don't have either the cognitive or perceptive ability to understand what they're a part of. Like, even if you tried to explain it, it wouldn't, mm -hmm. it doesn't have the Hard, the hardware to be able to even understand or see what's happening. I think we're probably in a similar predicament and it's probably just best that we do the best that we can to appreciate our existence and manifest it in the way that we treat ourselves and others. That's pretty much where I am with that. But yeah, I was never really super rebellious, but I, I definitely, as soon as my faith didn't make sense to me, I pretty quickly abandoned it. I, I just didn't make a big deal of it. I was like, yeah, I don't believe yeah. that. So that's pretty much where I was with that. Yeah, I think that, you know, I was saying earlier, there's a balance between like being just a rebellious asshole and actually being thoughtful and questioning things. Yeah, I yep. think with the, the atheist community, if that's what we're going to call it, I guess you see yeah. a lot of the needless rebelliousness, especially over something that they don't believe exists. Like it gets a little obnoxious <laughs> like they sometimes. care more than anyone else. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I mean, I, I still call myself an atheist because i don't think there's a better word for it but yeah. like to me atheism just means without god i mean i think that's the technical definition of atheism right, but right, they've right. it's turned into a religion uh, i mean when you go full atheist you just become exactly what <laughs> you have said that you're trying to get rid of or outdo or whatever it like uh, happens, yeah. i'm sure there's a lot of great people in atheists for liberty probably but they've approached me at a couple different events and brought their flyers over and um because they see the naturalist capitalist thing and they're wondering if it has any connotations of naturalism which it does um but then i, I tell them i'm like guys look just when it's the uh when you guys become an institution of atheists it's just kind of hard to take you seriously because then you're basically a religion in my mind um and that, yeah. that that's just become a funny thing like I, I used to actually really enjoy uh sam harris a lot and um you know some of the people in the intellectual dark web who talked a lot about atheism and part of the reason i don't anymore is just because of the politics of the last couple of years and seeing how they've reacted to everything but on yeah. top of that it's like especially if you're it's almost like more ridiculous if you're right that there is no god that you've spent all this time telling people this it's almost like more <laughs> pointless at the end of the day it's just kind of like who cares <laughs> like i mean so it's um and that's that's an evolutionary process i've seen in myself like over the last few years um that argument over whether or not it's true has become like way, way, way less important to me because it's something I used to really argue with people about and really find really interesting. But I just like don't really care anymore that much because like if it gets to the point where in being someone who doesn't believe in an afterlife, like if we get to the point where our biggest contention is what happens to us after we die then we're doing pretty good in my mind. Right. We're nowhere near that right now. There's stuff that's going on while we're alive that's really bad that we all agree, like, we got to fix this. But um, any comments exactly. on the the uh, extreme atheist community? I mean, I love you guys. I know some of you watch my show, but, like, 
Jesus. You got to, you, you guys need Jesus. You know, you need to chill out a little you bit. You need Jesus. That's my thoughts. Uh, yeah. My thoughts as someone who does not believe in any of the Abrahamic faiths is that the, the average atheist actually needs Jesus in his or her life. Uh, no, I listen, I think that, uh, you know, if it doesn't matter, if none of this matters, and at, for whatever reason or none at all, we're born, we live, we suffer, we enjoy whatever we enjoy, we, we suffer through whatever we suffer through, and then we die. And there are people who find peace in the idea of their being. Let's And again, let's say it's that's not true, but they right. find peace in it. Who the hell am I to go and make them miserable? Yeah, Sky Daddy's not real. And like right. present all this stuff that makes them like begrudgingly go, well, then I guess it's not real. And then they're miserable. Like, how does that help anything, right? Now, the, the the new atheists or the extreme atheists, as you put it, would say, well, but they'll find real happiness. How the hell do you know that? Like, you don't know that. It's very po I mean, right. there are studies that have shown that people that have religious faiths tend to overall have better lifestyles. Like, they typically have lower rates of depression. They typically have... Uh, you know, a better life markers, like any of the metrics you can use, they're typically doing better. Now, some would argue it's because this is a very religious centric world. I'm not sure I believe that. I, I, I think that there is something to be said. That could be why we have religion. It could literally just be a successful coping mechanism that humans came up with to try to just cope with this, you know, completely un, you know, impossible to understand existence and the questions of why are we here? What happens when we die? Is there anything more to this? Is there a reason for this? Are there things I should should be doing, things I shouldn't be doing? Maybe this is just a, a coping mechanism people have come up with. And yes, maybe some of us don't need it. But maybe some of us do. Mm -hmm. And what the hell business is it of yours? So I have no problem with people, you know, being evangelical atheists. I just want them to acknowledge that they are evangelicals. They are trying <laughs> yeah. to recruit people. They are exactly. trying to tell the gospel. Uh, they are trying, they're literally doing all this stuff. And it's probably as a result of that reflects what they've grown up with. But like they're being the Jehovah's Witnesses and the, and the uh, you know, the, the fundamentalist Baptists of, uh, and the evangelicals of atheism. And I, I will say, I don't consider myself an atheist because at this point, I think it, and again, this is my opinion. I believe it makes more intuitive sense that there is something or some things that, this is a creation of i think it's likely that it, what we see as the observable universe is actually a tiny little microscopic part of something that we can't even begin to comprehend don't even have the hard hardware to be able to comprehend but that there is some kind of reason for this i just that makes more sense to me so for that reason i don't consider myself an atheist because there probably is a god or 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 a creation creator as opposed to just you know a, a magnet you know uh, raw uh, what was it called uh, that um, that uh, Darwin called it um, uh, 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 raw libido or something that that causes all mm -hmm. things to happen. Um, so I but I definitely am agnostic because I don't know what the hell it is. And I, and I think it's like yeah. we can't know what it is. I think that makes the most sense. But, yeah, I'm not trying to rob anyone's joy. Um, I yeah. will say this. When people use their religious faith to justify a control or action against someone else and their lives. That's when I will push back and say, listen, your belief about something is valid and you're, you know, you can use that as you wish. But the moment you're using your religious faith to justify someone else being forced to do or not do something, that's where we're not friends anymore. Like that's where we're not going to agree anymore. 
but really most people that are religious are just like yeah i believe this and you know you can believe what you want and and i think a lot of atheists are just they're probably co they're probably acting out you know trauma from how they were treated when they were forced to be religious maybe that's what it is but uh, it ain't helping and it's certainly not increasing if 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 there's nothing else in life then maybe we should be trying to maximize our joy and that of others not make everyone miserable i don't know yeah something like that well what i found funny about the new atheist movement and like even christopher hitchens people like that uh but especially sam harris bill maher some of the people from nowadays you know they do mm -hmm. make like in my opinion, a lot of great critiques of Islam and Christianity, but then most of them are still, they're, they're Zionists, even though they don't believe in God. And I'm just like, <laughs> like, I mean, like you're saying, if your religious beliefs push you to stupid ideas, that's when they become bad. It's almost like dumber if you don't believe in anything and you still but have it these still pushes you yeah <laughs> so like that's that kind of yeah. when i gave up on them i was like all right whatever guys like if you're only going to go after these two and you're not gonna and then you know even putting zionism aside these especially like sam harris um he's a total statist and you know total believer in uh having overlords over your life telling you what to do telling you what you're not allowed to do um and you know, like once you I'm more forgiving of people who believe in God, because to me, it's a, a lot more vague, a lot more like you were saying, kind of unprovable. Right. No one really knows um, yeah. if you believe in the government and believe the government cares about you. You're just yeah. so out to lunch in my line. Like there is that great yeah. uh, skit by George Carlin where he it's funny. I, I still enjoy watching it, but he says like the you know, the politician doesn't hold a candle to the clergyman. And then he talks about how, like, you know, they're the religious, uh, religious leaders are the greatest bullshit artists in the world. And I think he's wrong. Like at least religious leaders, they're dealing with faith. They're dealing with things on a spiritual level. If you're a politician and you're telling yeah. people you're going to make their lives better and you're still getting reelected every year and getting do uh, campaign donations and stuff, and you have given them the government they have now, like that is incredible bullshit artistry in my mind. So it is. Like, it is. And it's so easily disprovable. Like you said, exactly. the questions of like faith and God, it's so metaphysical and ethereal. You can't even really define it, right? Like it's not, there's not really a good way to even say, well, how can you prove there is or isn't a God? Because everyone's definition of what that is, is different. Uh, there is no agreeable metric we can see easily that government doesn't work like as an organization like structure using a political process to make decisions and then having central planning be the way that it's carried out is this sort of uniquely terrible way that human beings have stumbled across to try to organize to accomplish the things that we need done it actually creates more problems and then it, it only ends up serving to feed itself it's so inefficient it's so prone to corruption that it ends up becoming its own ends to to feed on us it's like a, it's like the the organization of humans into being parasites but like in a really inefficient way uh mm -hmm. and just inefficient enough to convince everyone that well they're trying their best and it's like no it's actually just a really shitty way of being parasites and so you know statism is statism is basically a really uh terrible faith in human beings yeah who have demonstrated themselves to be bad at this 
Yeah. Like not just human beings, but like the worst human beings. Like statism is the worship of politicians, bureaucrats, and the cronies who own them and believing in them as being the people who should structure the very threads of our society. It's just, it's in it, that, that to me is so much more insane than saying, you know, I believe as my ancestors have that, uh, you know, that, uh, that, that there is a God who is aware and, and all knowing of all things and for whatever reason created evil, but then punishes us for doing it. Uh, and, and, uh, to save us from it, uh, created, uh, his only son who actually isn't his son, but kind of is who then had to die because that was the mm -hmm. only way to start like, okay, I don't believe that, but that sounds less insane or that sounds exactly. less, that sounds less, let me put it this way. That sounds less easily disprovable than saying, I think that these politicians who routinely demonstrate themselves as craven, pandering, ineffective liars and thieves are the people we should trust for the most important questions to be settled and the most important solutions that need to be done. That to me is as insane, if not more, and much more easily debunked. And yet here we have Sam Harris supporting it. Yeah. No, I, I agree, man. Um, and I have, you know, I've almost come to appreciate religion more in the last couple of years just because of the upbringing I had and the, the set of moral values that um, my parents instilled in me. And, you know, I don't, I don't like, like you, I don't really care if it's based on something factual or not, as long as, you know, those, as long as those values shine through, that seems to be what matters. And it's just, it's so aggravating that so many atheists are statists. Like, I feel like there's a huge overlap. It's weird. There are a lot of like libertarian atheists for some reason, but then I'd say there's a lot more like Democrat atheists than there are Republican atheists. And Obviously, yeah. Republicans, for the most part, want the government to run your life, too. But the Democrats over the last couple of years have been the ones who, like, obviously want that. And it, and whenever I get into an argument with, like, a super staunch atheist progressive, it's always funny to me because they don't like the church taking their money. They don't like the church telling them what to put in their bodies or not put in their bodies. Yeah. They don't like the church... Um, having these guys who do these strange rituals and uh, dress up in these weird costumes, having authority over them. And it's like, it's literally all the same stuff. <laughs> like, although um, at least the church is just asking for 10% of your money instead of, you know, 15, 20, depending on how much money you make, how much, however much percentage of your money and using it to go murder people yeah. overseas. At least the church is using it for soup kitchens or something for the most part. So it's just always been funny to me that this group of skeptics is um, just totally willing to let the government do whatever it wants to do. I've all, I've, yeah. I still can't understand that. So the progressive who hates the church and the big business, they don't make the connection that the only time that the church or the big business is forcing them to do something as opposed to asking them to do it or forcing others to do something is when they utilize the weapon of the state. Like they, they utilize the state to do that. You know, right. if, if the church is trying to pass its morality uh, through, you know, bans on what it considers immoral behaviors, you know, sexual consenting behavior between adults, it doesn't do it itself. 
It does right. it through government. Now, you know, a thousand plus years ago, it did it itself, but it was the government at the time, right? So, so, right. and if you look at, so like in, in Islam, one of the, the, uh, the issues there isn't that the faith itself uh, is against these different things. It's that in Islam, at least in the Islamic world, there is no delineation between politics and faith. So if Islam says that this is not allowed, or if it's interpreted to say that it's not allowed, it's not allowed. And if it says that you have to be killed for this, you have to be killed for this. And if it says that you have to have your, your hand cut off for something, then you have to have your hand cut off. And so again, the problem there is the mechanism of the state. It's not that people believe this. It's that they believe that there should be a central authority of human beings arbitrarily deciding or even using a, a, a guideline deciding what you as an individual should or should not be allowed to do, even if what those things are that you want to do or not do doesn't harm anyone else. So, yeah, the uh, it now I do. I will say I think I would venture to guess that libertarianism has a higher, maybe not much higher, but maybe a little bit higher percentage of atheists and agnostics than even the progressives do. Obviously, much larger so, yeah. number of them of them. So like even though a, a higher percentage of libertarians are atheist or agnostic, the overwhelming majority of, of agnostics and atheists are status, but that's true of everyone. The vast majority of everything are status, but, um, but yeah, I don't, it does not make sense to already have said, you know, I don't care what society thinks. I think that, you know, that this is just, uh, you know, a book of fairy tales and I'm not going to believe it. And then turn around and listen to a politician <laughs> who has a track record of lying and cheating yeah. and stealing or just showed up and has no idea what they're talking about, you know, and, and eventually they will have a track record of lying, cheating and stealing, or they'll, or they'll, they'll get replaced. And believing that I've even seen that within the libertarian party. Like there is this idea among many libertarians that, well, we just need to replace red and blue with gold. Yeah. No, that's <laughs> the problem. Isn't the people. It's certainly not the color of the party it's not the team it's that the only way that the electoral process is going to accomplish anything for us whether it's through libertarians or someone else is if they immediately go in and start nullifying and dismantling this system otherwise we're just going to replace those two evils with this new one and 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 so even within libertarian circles there the, the statism is pervasive and yeah i say statism is a far more goofy faith than than any of the other ones it's just so easy to disprove yeah um i think you know there has been a systematic attempt to remove culture and pride and family values and all these things from yes from families to destabilize them and make them more dependent on the government and a lot of libertarians mm -hmm. don't like talking about this but i think it's true um but one of the first places I started noticing it was when I grew up as, you know, when I was a teenager, uh, when I got my first car, um, I owned that car. I bought it with cash. I had a job. So I went and bought that car with cash. And then I paid for all my own gasoline, all my own repairs, um, all, you know, the registration fees, all that stuff. My parents didn't do any of it. And some of the other kids, like they got a car from their parents that their parents didn't even own. They would take a loan out on a car and then let their kid drive it as their car when it's not even registered in their name. And it's also not even owned by their parents. And right. that's a trend that I started 
seeing everywhere as I got older, like, wow, nobody owns anything. They have a lot of stuff, but it's not actually yep. theirs. It's so not the theirs, pride yeah. of ownership doesn't exist. Um, and I think that that's been almost intentional, you know, through the artificially low interest rates, you know, just put a, a dime down and you can get this $40,000 car for this ridiculously low uh, payment every month that you definitely shouldn't be a lot, shouldn't be able to get, but we're going to give it to you anyway. Um, you know, you can have all the perks of ownership, but you will never have that actual pride of yep. owning something yourself. I think that's done a lot to destroy the mentality of Americans because, you know, a big part of the American dream is owning something, right? You own, it's not the Kings, it's yours. Like you own your house, yep, you own yep. whatever, but that's just kind of evaporated. That's just like one of the things that the government has destroyed culturally, the pride of ownership and, you know, no one cares about it anymore. But do you think that's probably true? I know you were a businessman for a while. So yeah, no, um, two, two of the bedrocks of a, of a, of individuals, and a society, uh, or at least communities, that don't really need central planning and actually are uh, against it and reject its ideas, uh, two of the bedrocks, the, 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 the foundational underpinnings of that are ownership and family. Now, it's interesting because a lot of people, uh, and I actually first learned this when I was back when I called myself a conservative, like in the, in the early and mid-2000s, um, and they talked about how the government you know, uh, undermined uh, the black family and native families because they knew that was the best way to just, it was the one thing they had. And, and they were able to quickly, uh, you know, pick up the pieces when they would be attacked and, and have and lose everything. They'd be able to pick up the pieces and begin, you know, regenerating again because they had such strong familial structures and such strong concept of, of individual and personal ownership. And they immediately sought to destroy those things. Um, the thing is, it actually started for, for the general public. The attack on the family started a lot sooner than people think. One of the first attacks on the family that happened in the U.S. anyway was the idea of the so-called uh, nuclear family that happened in the uh, post-war period. And it was and it was for the dumbest of reasons. It was basically to make a bunch of money for housing developers. So at the end of World War Two, you had all these people that were coming back from uh, the war who were either already married or getting married. Uh, They're having children. There was the baby boom. And they thought, well, what are we going to? And there were all the people that were working in the factories who did not want to live in the cities. They were going to leave the black people in the cities and put them in housing in the in the permanent housing for the housing project. But the where, the, where are we going to put the white people? Certainly not with the blacks. Where are we going to put them? And so the idea was presented by housing developers. Well, you've got all this land. So why don't we make these suburban communities and uh, we'll do the uh, the FHA Act uh, or the FHA and basically give subsidized uh, single family homes to everyone. Well, in order to do that, they also had to present the idea that a real family was not the multi-generational family that human beings had always had up until that point where you had, you would have a household, whether it was a, a, a single home or you know multiple smaller homes in a very, very close proximity, like walking distance that would have you know the children, the parents, but also the grandparents, even the great grandparents or even the great, 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 like, Everyone there, cousins, uncles, everything else, really families that, you know, large extended families, the, the village really just being the, the extended family, that was replaced with the idea that, well, actually the family is two parents, 
uh, and uh, you know, 2.3 children or whatever. That's a family. And the reason they did that was to maximize the amount of, uh, of, of homes that were being sold. Uh, and so that was really a, a, a grift for the, the housing development industry. Now, what happened was that was the first separation, generational separation of the family that happened by and large. And that made it easier. Now, if when you're removing the family, you're not just you're not having to remove their your connection with grandparents, great grandparents, cousins, uncles, everything else. It's really just your parents. That's really all they have to remove is the parents and the kids because they've already made that other separation. It made it exponentially easier for them to do the assaults on the 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 concept of the family. And we see now where, you know, even on both sides, people are insistent that if you raise your kids this way, you're bad and the government should stop you. Well, no, that's that is the that is the final assault on the family, which is parenthood. And if you remove that and if you make it where the government is essentially the parent, that's that's a I mean that that and, and elimination of ownership like you were talking about are really all it takes to make people entirely devoted and and dependent on the state. Devotion comes from dependence and and that's that is a huge problem. Yeah, it um I thought it was interesting noticing that people on the left thought if you didn't vaccinate your kids that you were a child abuser and then people on the yes. right thought the same thing if you do vaccinate your kids <laughs> you're a child abuser um yep. and then you know some people uh you know to some people critical race theory in school is propaganda and they don't want it taught and then to some yeah. i mean people have all these different um standards that you just can't I don't know, like some of the I mean, some of them, I feel like when there's ch actual child abuse taking place or something, then you can, of course, um, like yes. if you're harming the child's body or whatever, like that's yes. different. But yes, when it comes to like, oh, I think if you teach my kids about Jesus, that's abuse. And then if you tell my kids that America is an evil country built on racism, that's I don't, like it starts to get fuzzy in that area. Like what is actually definitionally propaganda and lies and I don't know. That's part of the reason I'm a libertarian, because like having government schools and government programs where people are put under one umbrella, where they're taught this one truth about things. Our societies become so split and so disconnected that you can't arrive at a compromise anymore. Like we just we're just at a point where you have to raise your kids in a system that aligns with your belief systems, because I mean, the the other side just completely disagrees with you on a foundational level yeah and and the thing is what ends up happening is instead of you just having your kids being taught whether by you or by those that you assign to do it your values there's a constant it's it is a culture war and it's not over the culture the battle is over the stakes of whose way wins you know this isn't a war of like well i think i i think my way is better than yours it's I want my way to be how your children have to be taught. And then the other side goes, well, I will know I want my way to be the way your children have to be taught. Well, we as libertarians see the problem is that the state has to be the arbiter of what every child's being taught in that system. And that's the problem. You know, it, it, there, and there are many examples of this outside of schooling, but that's one example. The, the, the best way to handle that is to just allow people Again, if there's if there's actual abuse and harm of children, uh, then that's one thing. But outside of that, yeah, if you want to teach your your kid a religious belief that you and I think is is goofy as hell, that's on you. 
And if you mm-hmm. want to teach them a, a race-based ideology that you and I also think is goofy as hell, then that's on you. Go ahead and do it. Um, you know, so I and, and if you get government involved with mandating or banning anything, you know, it's just going to make it much worse. It's not going to it's going to make even the initial problem worse. Um, you know, uh, the, the one thing I keep going back to is that um, when you allow government to have this kind of control, they are going to end up forcing something on everyone that almost no one likes. And that's the compromise. Well, the compromise is everyone's miserable. And and to your point of, you know, uh, the irreconcilable differences right now, we have both a record high number of people who think that if you just don't want to say that someone who is trans and, and I full disclosure, if someone tells me they're trans, they tell me what their pronouns are. I use them for me. I mean, I changed my name when I was three. Identity is a big deal to people. I, I go with it. I understand if people don't want to do that, that's fine. I personally do. But there are many people, there are a record high number of people who believe that that should be illegal. Right. That, that not using someone's, you know, uh, preferred pronouns or, or the pronouns that they're using or whatever is like, should be a hate crime or that should it should be illegal yeah at the That's same what got time jordan peterson in trouble originally right because he was yes he was yes saying the threat of be, that yeah the threat of that at the same time you have certainly in our lifetimes the highest number of people in at least the last 30 40 maybe even 50 or 60 years who believe that all gay people and trans people and lgbt people are groomers and pedophiles in waiting and that mm-hmm. an increasing number of think, them think that that should be banned or at least heavily discouraged or, you know, it shouldn't be talked about at all or anything like that. Those are not reconcilable. There is not a compromise between those. I mean, there is a compromise, which is just go live your own lives and stop trying to force everyone else into something. But within the, the positions of, you know, should we force this or should we force this? There's not really a reconcilable difference. The only way to try to reconcile that is to stop trying to decide which of those ways are going to be forced on everyone. And, and it means getting government out of education, but it also means government getting government out of ideas like association. Like a person mm-hmm. who is a pro-LGBT whatever else should not have to be forced to associate with someone who thinks that they're a pedophile or groomer that should, you know, be in prison for it and, and vice versa. Someone who, you know, maybe just, you know, for religious reasons or whatever reasons, you know, isn't really a fan of LGBT people or, or even just like the stuff with the, the wedding cakes, you know, they don't have a problem with gay people. Gay people can come and buy cakes all day long, but they're not going to make a gay wedding cake because it goes against their religion. They shouldn't be forced to have to do that either. And I, I think a, a lot of peace comes from letting people freely disassociate instead of trying to have them constantly fight over it. That's that's one of the root problems with a democratic system is that you have people constantly fighting over what's forced on everyone instead of just allowing decentralization and letting people make their own decisions. Yeah, I um, actually, you played a role in this out in Reno. Um, they changed the language and the party platform when it came to bigotry. And I actually, oh, I think the gosh. new plank, I'm sorry, I'm going to get in trouble here, but um, <laughs> I think no, the it's new, fine. Go ahead. No, I just, I just, it's just the most annoying thing, but go, go ahead. No, I, yeah, let's no. talk, let's talk about it. Yeah. So, I mean, I think bigotry is such a ridiculous word just because what we were just saying there, like to, to one person, bigotry is obvious 
you know, if you're discriminating against some sort of sexual orientation or race or whatever, to another person, it's religious ideology, to another person, it's something completely different. So it's just like such yep. an empty word where I think the new platform, the, the, the new language basically says we stand for the rights of every individual, regardless of race, ethnicity, gender, creed, whatever, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, and I think yeah, there's yeah. an important distinction there that a lot of libertarians have missed because like you said, free so basically to be, um, you know, like, and there's different forms of bigotry. Some of them are more obvious than others, but to someone who is a fundamental, a fundamentalist Christian or a fundamentalist Jew or a fundamentalist Muslim or something like, I'm going to think some of their associations they want to make are just ridiculous and silly, yep. but they're going to think some of the ones that I would want to make are ridiculous and silly. And at the end of the day, right. there's nothing we can do yep. about that. So as long as exactly. we're not, I think as libertarians, we just have to advocate for the rights of individuals, which includes the right to association, like you said. So I thought that yep. was a good evolution personally. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing with that wording. And it's been it's been weird to watch some of the reactions from people who were like, well, I've always believed bigotry to be irrational and repugnant. And I'm disgusted it was removed. And I'm like, you've never used the word repugnant in your life, except to talk about this wording. Like, give me a break. But here, here's the background yeah. on that. The, the, for those who don't know, just giving a little bit of background, uh, uh, Plank, Plank 3.5, I think it is from the Libertarian Party platform, talks about discrimination and freedom of association. And in that plank, it has always said that we uh, support the rights of people to discriminate, that if a business owner wants to discriminate for whatever reason, uh, they, they absolutely can. That government should not be able to because government is forced association and, uh, you know, right. forced collectivization. And so they should not be allowed to discriminate because they need to treat us all equally if they're going to force us into their system. But that individuals right. and businesses and, and private entities can do so. Now, at some point, I think it was actually in the 70s, but then it was removed and added back. But whatever. At some point, a compromise wording was put in, which I believe was a rewording of something Ayn Rand had said about racism being uh, irrational or something like that. And it says mm -hmm. we condemn bigotry as irrational and repugnant. Now, the people who wanted that wording removed, one of their main arguments was that it's the only time we make that kind of value judgment in the platform. Like there are other places in the platform where it'll say something like, uh, you know, it talks about that the government shouldn't stop people from putting what they want in their body. But then it doesn't follow up and say, but if you do heroin, that's a really bad idea. And it'll, it, you know, you'll probably die or, or overdose and right. it's bad for you. Uh, or it'll say, you know, that uh, government shouldn't uh, legislate uh, consenting sexual relations between adults. And it doesn't then say, but if you have a bunch of unprotected sex, uh, you know, you could risk STDs and unplanned pregnancies. Like it, we don't we say yeah. that government should let you have the right to do something. We don't then make a moral judgment on what you should or shouldn't do with that right. So I understand that they were saying that my problem was if you just remove that wording without the context of why it's being done, the average person looks at that and goes, oh, so you're cool with bigotry now because you just remove the wording. Right. Like it, it makes it sound like we're saying we're cool with bigotry. The bigger argument that I kept saying to people was no one cares. Like no one besides us is even reading this thing. It does yeah. not matter. It's getting <laughs> exponentially more attention than it yeah. will ever get because you just keep talking about the damn thing. But it's got to be done. So right. I knew that they had more than enough votes to remove the wording. 
And so I went to a, a few different people and said, look, you know, how about we replace it with something affirming that we're not trying to say that we're going to, you know, uh, uphold, you know, bigotry and, and, and discrimination or whatever else. And, and really restructuring on, on an affirmative statement of action of what we'll actually do to protect people. And they said, OK, well, give us the wording. So in an embarrassingly relatively short period of time, I wrote up, uh, you know, uh, we uphold and defend the rights of all people, uh, regardless of their uh, race, gender or race, ethnicity or any other aspect of their identity or what, whatever the wording was. And it passed uh, almost unanimously. And and. You know, some people are upset about it, and I, I get that. But like, like you said, a bigotry means so much to so many different people. It's not terribly well defined anymore. The actual definition of bigotry is uh, a uh, an intolerance of uh, the beliefs and identities of others. Well, a lot of us are bigots. Then almost all yeah. of us are bigots. Then if that's the fact, I mean, I, I'm right. intolerant of a lot of ideologies. Right. So right there, I'm a I'm a bigot. Also. It doesn't actually say we're going to do anything. So if like you're, uh, you know, because you're white or or because you're a man or because of whatever reason, if someone were attacking you because of that, their bigotry towards your being white or a man or from New England or whatever. And I stood there and I went, I think what's happening to you is irrational and repugnant. That doesn't really help you. <laughs> Like that, you go, oh, hey, thanks. That's yeah. great. They're uh, beating me up right now. Well, I don't like it at all. That doesn't do a thing for it. Now, if I'm sitting there going, right. I'm going to get involved because I defend and, and uphold and defend your rights and you're being you know, hurt for no, for no good reason. You didn't do anything wrong. That's an actual affirmative statement of something I'm going to do to defend you. So I think it's actually in right. that way, it's a more powerful statement. I think for political reasons, I probably would have just left the damn thing as is. But I, 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 I hope that it was a, 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 a either at least a good compromise, if not an improvement on the existing wording that actually says we're going to do something. Uh, I, I, you know, but, but we'll see. We'll, we'll see how it plays out. I think much more importantly, again, no one else but us cares. No yeah. one reads our platform. <laughs> I used to show people our platform and they're like, I'm not going to read that. And I'm like, yes. well, it's only like an eight minute read. And they're like, I'm not going to read that for eight minutes. I'm not doing that. So we need to get over ourselves with the damn platform. It's something we refer to. Uh, it doesn't matter. It really does not matter to people. We need to show people what libertarianism is, not refer them to a platform. They yeah. don't give a crap about it. No, I, I agree. Um, I think we should have added a plank about Reed Russell and Clint Coverdale saying we condemn them yes. as irrational and repugnant and we're going to do something about it, you know, like a, an action and, and we're an accusation. We <laughs> uphold and defend the repugnance of Clint Coverdale and Reed Russell and will not rest until they've been eradicated from the earth. And I think that would have yeah. passed my voice vote. I think that that, <laughs> I don't think anyone, those two monsters should be eradicated. I don't care what happens to me on social yeah. media from saying that. I think that they should be eradicated. And uh, I, I think that, uh, you know, I, I don't even think we should put them in camps, like just straight to death. Like, I, I don't think we should risk the possibility of them finding a a a female who can house their seed and no, and no. Who, yeah and who is willing to do so or you know that they that they you know god forbid rape or something like that that we should not like they're, they're, this is an active threat to humanity 
and should be treated as such. And I think we, sh we should be able to all agree on that. I'm suspect of people that don't agree with me on that. Yeah. So last question, are we in a not recession right now? Yes, we are in a non-recession as defined by the Biden administration. We are in what used to be up until recently, you bigot, up until recently, uh, a recession was defined by basically everyone as two or more consecutive fiscal quarters of a contraction of the gross domestic product, the GDP. But it's a brave new world where the recession means whatever we want it to. And that it, it that's not the fact that we've had two or more uh, quarters of economic contraction. That's not a recession. And frankly, I'm waiting for someone to like ask someone, you know, like, what is a recession? And they say, I don't know. I'm not an economist. But that's I think that I think I mean, it is we're we're in a recession. And the thing is, adjusted for inflation, we've been in a recession for like well over a decade. And that's what mm -hmm. actually matters. That's what a lot of people don't want to talk about is that once you factor in monetary policy, the average person has been in a recession since the 90s and uh, or, or, or maybe a couple of times in the early 2000s. But it's been an exception to the rule when we've not been in a in, outside of an inflation adjusted recession. We are now in a non adjusted recession with record high inflation. So for the average person, they're experiencing a depression, an inflation-adjusted depression. And yet this administration has decided that it is a political winning strategy to deny that that's happening. And I just think that's beautiful. I think it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, um, I think... Uh... <laughs> you know, the Biden administration, they have condemned recessions as irrational and repugnant. So I think, uh, <laughs> yes. you know, that, that's really yes. what this comes down to. So <laughs> it is, you know, well, yeah, I, man, thanks. It really we should, and we would see. But whereas we we defend and uphold the right of recessions yeah. to exist uh, and uh, and we'll defend it, even if it's uh, only, even if it's uh, whatever its identity is. Uh, yeah, no, it's it is uh, it is wild. I remember, I, I know I know you're trying to wrap up, but I, I do need no, to say this. Good. I remember watching The Wizard of Oz and you see that moment where they realize that the great and powerful Oz is actually this guy behind a, behind a, um, you know, a oh, curtain, a curtain yeah. or whatever. And he says, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. And I remember thinking like, well, that's silly. They're literally doing that right now. They are literally right now saying, I know that this is what a recession is. And for the average American who has absolutely no idea what GDP is or anything else, what they're really telling the average American is, I know that you have an income that you used to be able to live on like two years ago and now cannot live on that income. But actually, things are going really well if you think about it. Also, the most important thing happening right now is a riot that happened over a year and a half ago in D.C. That's the most important thing, and we're going to talk about it endlessly. We're going to really not talk about those other riots that happened where you live uh, or, or where many of, of, of you lived uh, that happened before that, but we're going to talk about this one riot that happened uh, where, like, uh, I think five, four, five people died and, uh, and in which it affected us. That's way more important 
your suffering never will matter and we're actually going to pretend it doesn't exist. And the fact that they think that's a winning strategy, I, I will be interesting to watch them have to cope with the fact that that was not a winning strategy, put it that way. Yeah, um, I guess I got one more question. Are you I don't, Are you a Star Wars fan? I, I wouldn't, I'm definitely not as intense of a fan as others, but I, I'm familiar with the franchise and I've seen, I've seen yeah. seven of the nine movies. Yeah. Well, that's fair. Cause I would describe my affinity for January 6th the same way. Like I'm, I'm aware of the franchise, just not necessarily a huge fan, you know, it's kind of disappointing <laughs> or whatever, but um, I was, I was wondering, do, are you more impressed with the constant resuscitation of January 6th or star Wars? Cause both of them, have like outlived oh, wow. their natural life cycle. I would say it's like, geez, guys are really pushing it here. You know, we got all these wow. series on star Wars coming out and the same with January 6th. Like when this got resuscitated in January, I was like, okay, one year anniversary or whatever. I, but they're still pushing <laughs> just like guys, like catch a hint, you know, uh, the rotten tomatoes review on this would be pretty low from the crowd score. Just saying. Wow, that's a really good question because I mean obviously from a longevity standpoint you'd have to go with Star Wars, right? Like they've literally taken some really cool cult movies that were made like around the time I was born right. and have turned it into a multi-billion dollar franchise. They're just getting started with January 6th though. You never know how long That's a go. good point. Could go you can find so so yeah, I can see years. it that Disney presents <laughs> January 6th and like by then AOC is like, you know, on the rooftop uh, you know, uh, gunning down the the marauding uh, clones or whatever. No, I. So I, you're right. That could it could. I will say for now, I will say Star Wars just because of longevity. But we have to revisit this in a few years, where it is possible that this will have become a multi billion dollar franchise. Wait, what am I saying? Way more money has already been spent over January sixth. Actually, I don't know if that's true because a lot of money's been spent. This is a tough one. I know. <laughs> the, the, it's, so I will put it this way: if I were just measuring from the last two years, year and a half, January six obviously wins. The longevity of Star Wars makes it win out, you know, without that parameter. But this thing's getting legs. And it's like, despite everyone, this thing has legs. And I do, I could see a scenario in which I was so, I was so frustrated. I took my glasses off. I could see a situation where in like 10, 15 years where they're still talking about January 6th with the same breathlessness that they talked about 9-11 for several years. With the difference being that on 9-11, thousands of people died and we were all scared that it was going to happen where we are too, or keep happening. No one, I mean, it, Outside of that immediate area and a handful of like hyper liberal progressives, most people were like, oh, that's unfortunate or, oh, man, I wish that worked or whatever. But then they <laughs> moved on with their life because it was a riot. It was a riot and uh, some a few people died. And I, I would say it was misplaced anger. Uh, and uh, I, I would also say that, uh, you know, some politicians experienced a, a no knock raid and did not like it. Um, but I think that. Uh, I think that it was a riot that was misplaced uh, frustration and anger, and it was unfortunate, and it happened. And we probably need to move on, guys. Like this is—they have really made this a whole, a whole last thing, while simultaneously telling people that like cannot make ends meet. Middle class, two income families, households, telling them, "Yeah, everything's fine. You're good. You're good." 
Yeah. I think it's incredible. It's just yeah. insane to me. It's it's way crazier than Oz saying don't look at him. Another parallel, you know how in the first Star Wars movie they take out the Death Star with just a couple X-wing fighters or whatever. Yeah, they took down the Capitol with just a guy in a buffalo suit. So you know it's another strange parallel. Like maybe we should be rethinking. Wow. Um, you know, I don't know. Just saying. <laughs> I really put guy, some thought. That into was a this. womp rat. <laughs> That was a womp rat. So I know they say like, you know, oh, it's it, this exhaust hole is no threat to us. You could barely yeah, fit oh. a womp rat in there or whatever. And that is he a womp actually rat. was wearing, he was wearing, that guy is an actual womp rat. That's I like funny. It. I don't, I'm not sure I'm comfortable with these parallels, but they do exist and I have to acknowledge them. So thank you for ending the show on that. Yeah, I uphold the rights of these parallels to exist regardless of their, you know, their their, their silliness or whatever. Whereas, whereas <laughs> I, whereas I condemn Womp Rats as irrational and repugnant uh, because I'm a real libertarian, but whatever. Yeah. I do like using that phrase just in general now. I, I condemn things as irrational and repugnant. It's fun, you know, like I do that. I, I actually floated, I think it was Dave Smith I said this too. We considered the possibility of completely scrapping the entire platform and just replacing it with the word pugnant. <laughs> and like just unironically, when, when someone's like, what is your like, what do libertarians believe? We're like, actually, we have a very easy to read platform. You go to yeah. LP.org platform and they go on and like there's no formatting on the page. It's like when you go to a page and it just says this space intentionally left blank and like in like, you know, Times New Roman. This would just say pugnant, period. And I yeah. I think that we really we should consider that in 24. When we when we have our next convention, we should consider that as a kind of a come together moment. Really just trip away, distill it down to the basics of what libertarianism is about, which is pugnant. Yeah, totally. <laughs> All right, man. Uh, I know you're gonna be at Young Americans for Liberty in I am. Florida in a week with me. I'll be there too um any other events you got coming up that you want to advertise and where can people keep up with all your stuff Gosh, you got doing man i i mean i have to pull up my calendar it's that intense now i'm actually um uh coming to my neck of the woods up? soon right up to maine or something you said yeah i got a thing in in maine coming up i uh i've got i'm literally pulling out my calendar because my so this coming weekend i'm going to be in dc for the or alexandria for the libertarian party meetup then I'm going to be at Young Americans for Liberty. Then I'm, I'm getting a few weeks off after that. But then I'm going to be at uh, I'm we're, we're uh, planning a tour through Texas. Uh, I'm going to be at the uh, Liberty Speaks Forum in Maryland. Uh, I'm going to be at Liberty Con. This, all, this stuff's all in October. I got a lot of stuff going on. If you want to follow where I'm going to be at, go to SpikeCohen.com. Uh, you can find me on all social media. If you just look up Spike Cohen, I'm, I'm on all the stuff that Reed's been kicked off of, uh, holding the flame for him. Um, and uh, and, and, oh, and by I the way, became... thanks for the thanks for the shout out on on Timcast. I know I met you in person the other week in Vegas and told you that, but want to publicly thank you for yes. the amazing shout out for testing the waters free speech. Conservative butchering your media. name. <laughs> But yes, and butchering your name in the process, it's 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 Coverdale, correct? It's Coverdale. It's co okay. It is Coverdale. I said Coverdale. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, it's actually funny. Whatever. Throughout this show, I think you said Coverdale and Coverdale, and I I think I I accept that you don't even cognizantly 
notice the difference that it just like goes. <laughs> no, wait, so, your name is. No, I don't know no what your judgment. name is. I don't. I just. I don't assign enough mental bandwidth to realize how how to even say your name. I'm I'm happy yeah. that I say your first name correctly, uh, which is Red, of course. Yeah. Um. No, I. I, was I say, not I, too I, many I was people happy. mess up the first name. <laughs> no, I was. It, it, that's that's a tough one. That's pretty. That's yeah. pretty uh, repugnant. That's pretty repugnant, but I, 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 uh, on your, when I, when I mentioned you on Timcast, he's talking about free speech platforms. I'm like, they're conservative speech platforms. And it was just the <laughs> easiest thing on earth to tell your story. I'm like, this guy's on there for a matter of seconds. And, yeah. you know, we'll say Israel did nine 11 and just immediately get kicked <laughs> off, uh, doing the Lord's work, frankly. And, and, you know, as we were talking about before, the atheists need Jesus, you're doing the Lord's yeah. work. Um, but yeah, so I, you know, if you follow me on the social media, I'm, I'm Spike Cohen on everything. Uh, I, uh, I have my podcast that I do on Muddied Waters Media. You can find that on all social media and all podcasting platforms. Uh, I have launched my uh, political organization where uh, you are the power, where we are doing uh, localized single issue activism across the country. Um, if you want to be a part of that, go to youarethepower.net and uh you know, the, the North Star is if, if at any point you ever find yourself lost and unable to find me, just go to uh, the ATF social media uh, and uh, there, <laughs> there you will find me. Um, and again, then, look in the replies. I, you, know, you know, I love you. Thanks for having me on, man. Yeah, of course, man. It's going to be good to see you again in a week. Uh, it's been yeah. great getting to know you over the last couple of years. And Absolutely. Uh, I appreciate everything you do. So thanks for coming on, man. Thank you. I appreciate you too, man.